the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I'm just sitting here. I don't know if you have ever had this experience, but I am having this experience where I had a document sent to me. I asked for it. I got it sent to me. And I read it. I was reading it. It's about 18 pages. And then I printed it. And when I printed it, it, the print is way smaller than it was on my screen. So I'm struggling to look at the paper copies as I get ready to talk to you about today's wink, what you need to know. Uh, by the way, go to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, sign up for the Daily Wink. Follow me on Twitter, at Eagle Ed Martin, at Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter, and uh, phyllisschlafly.com is our website. You can contact me through the website or email me, ed at phyllisschlafly.com. So what have I been digging into? I've been digging into the records from... The select, the unselect committee on January 6th, the Liz Cheney unselect committee that spent, you know, close to 18 months. And it looks like, I don't know, they're starting to add up the numbers. I, I think I might be kind of combining a couple different accounts and might be acting like Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley, you know, announced that she raised $11 million when she actually released the money that she raised. She had double counted, double counted, and she actually had raised not 11, but something like six. And what she had done was in the six, she had uh, raised four million and then two million and then four million. And she added the two million, four million and six and and, and uh, the other four million and got close to 11 million. She double counted. Anyway, it was embarrassing for her and an indication that either her campaign wasn't ready for prime time or they were being sneaky. Uh, so when I say this, it looks like the unselect committee of Liz Cheney and the crew spent somewhere around 15 million dollars, 15 million dollars. And one of the things that I asked for I haven't gotten that yet is a breakdown of uh, the uh, a copy of the transcripts of the hearings themselves, the public hearings, as well as a breakdown of the coverage, the TV coverage. I'm not sure that's all available. But anyway, this is my point. The reason why I'm asking is one of the most. One of the central tenets of our American legal system is the is the notion of due process. Right. Due process. And that's a little bit amorphous, the term. Like if you went out and said, hey, you get due process. I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, you can't take my stuff without uh, going through the right process. Good. OK, that's due process. Part of it. You know, due process. You can't arrest me without having reasonable reasons to arrest me. You know, you know, uh, have a have a have a uh, have an actual warrant, uh, you know, probable cause or, or, or justifications under various laws to take away my liberty by detaining me. All these things due process. When someone wants to come and take my stuff, look at my stuff, subpoenas, surveillance, due process. And it feels to a lot of us like the American tradition, this, this tenet of American life, due process is being denied. It's being denied. It's not just when the NSA uh, uh, head, uh, Clapper, I think it was Clapper at the time, it was, it was either Clapper or Brennan lied to Senator Rand Paul when he was asked, are you are you looking is NSA snooping on Americans? And he lied. No, they're not. And then later came back and had to admit I lied 
Um, so it's not so much only like the NSA snooping, which is a problem. There's lots of problems. It's not just the uh, the surveillance state, which is developed as a problem. It's not just the FBI, which has um, enforcement agents, lawyers and others who are either redacting uh, documents, changing testimony, um, uh, uh, distorting FISA applications to the Foreign Intelligence uh, Surveillance Court or foreign. Is that what it is? Is it? Uh, uh, yeah, I think that's right. The secret court. All these Patriot Act things that happened that we have grown to regret more and more. It's also some of the basics, other parts of it. So one of the aspects of due process in our system is the idea that you can get a an impartial adjudication, an impartial arbiter of the situation so that you have a chance to prove your point. And I say it like that because it actually can mean in some cases that you're required to have a judge that is without bias. It's not only a jury. I'm interested in jury. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Because what you need to know is the due process denied in this current environment that we're living in, it's, it's one of the aspects that's being denied all of us. Of a certain side of the aisle, I'd say, or a certain temperament, uh, a certain ideological background. The due process denied is about having an impartial, unbiased arbiter of the facts and the law for us to try to prove our case. And so you can say, and I'm not doing that now, you could go through how uh, the judges in our system, too many judges are really biased. You can go into the Soros funded DAs. And by the way, there's Soros funded uh, judges also. But that's even that's not what I want to talk about. Because one of the things that feels fundamental to American life, and of course is not that common, is the right to jury trial by a jury of your peers. And the reason they say it's not that common is not many people have to go through it. I don't know if you could go right now and do a survey of our listeners, how many of our listeners have gone and done a jury trial. I would say, been the subject of a jury trial. Say they have a say they have a, a dispute with their um, with their uh, plumber, and the plumber decides to fight the dispute. And you go to court, and the court says, you know, we got to figure this out. We'll get a jury, and you go to jury. Or someone gets in trouble with the law and has a jury. I'm not sure how many people have been through that. No, I don't think that many. I'm not sure how many people have uh, have served on a full jury. Many people get called and don't end up serving. So that's the question. That's the wonder I have about the. Uh, 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 the, 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 uh, that's the, why I'm phrasing it that way about an impartial, uh, and without bias adjudicator, but putting aside judges, let's talk about due process denied in the case of the unselect committee and Liz Cheney and the gang, because what we're seeing when you look at the, the, the documents now that are coming out and some of them have been out, but some of them haven't been, and some of them I haven't examined until now. So putting that all together, you're talking about, it looks like tens of millions of dollars spent in such a way to influence the public in the direction of, I, I guess the unselect committee and Liz Cheney would want to say it is a political argument. I don't think they'd want to admit it too freely because you're not supposed to use your official uh, 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 efforts, your official uh, office, your official um, uh, staff to further a political, meaning a partisan political argument. But I think they would say it's uh, it was um, uh, maybe it was a, a, a legal argument, a public argument, whatever it is, they clearly positioned it as a public display to influence the people about what they believed happened. And it is a partisan effort. 
not for one party or the other, but for one viewpoint. So it's partial. It's not impartial. When you look at what they showed, when you look at the video that they made available, in other words, the unselect committee of Liz Cheney and the gang, they did not make all the video available to the media or anyone else. So, and, and they, by the way, they weren't required to. They're just a congressional committee. They were a rogue congressional committee, but they're not, there's no legal requirement that you do a, 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 that you do, <laughs> that you respect due process as to say the right of a accused, right of the accused to confront their accuser or for a, a again, for a, a uh, proceeding to have true, real opposition and contentious debate over things. There's no requirement of that. On the other hand, when you're spending tens of millions of dollars, you look up at the end of it and you say, what did they accomplish with tens of millions of dollars? What was it that they were trying to do with tens of millions of dollars and, and dozens and dozens, I don't know how many, hundred hours of primetime TV and millions and millions of social media generated uh, contacts? What is it that they were, the, that the Liz Cheney unselect committee was trying to do? And the answer is, they were trying to persuade us, brainwash us, and in particular, if it was effective on a third of the country, half of the country, in particular, it was effective on the D.C. residents who saw it in their hometown paper, the Washington Post, who saw it in their hometown news every day, who saw it on the national news if they watched that, who saw it everywhere about their hometown. And those are the people that are the jury of your peers if you go before that jury. If you're, if you're Donald Trump, if he's indicted, if you're the January 6th defendants, if you're going to court, that's the reality. That's the reality of what happened. And now you look at the money spent and, and you say to yourself, okay, tens of millions of dollars, you know, millions and millions of dollars for this and that and the other to create this thing. And, and they weren't even trying to tell the truth. They weren't even trying to tell the other side. They weren't even trying to allow an opposition point of view. There was no time. For anyone who disagreed with the narrative machine as it was being put forward, there was no time for those people to object, to participate, to have any role. Think about that. Due process denied in shaping how people understand what happened. Say it differently as we've done before. Shaping what people see and therefore what they know and therefore what they believe and what they do. And for months and months, aided by massive amounts of taxpayer dollars, aided by friendly media, big media, big tech, the Liz Cheney Unselect Committee was able to drive a message. Now, pause for a second and say to yourself, um, were they good at it? Did they succeed at it? Well, it didn't succeed in my mind when they that they had a smoking gun like oh look what we found we now see that there was this conspiracy or that sedition i think that failed but you'd be foolish i'd be foolish to think that the people who do this at this level you know people who are doing this kind of communicating at the level of the US congress the united states congress the most powerful nation on the earth in the history of time, the most powerful body, political body ever, ever, the U.S. Congress, the most powerful government, the U.S. government ever, to think that they wouldn't be good at this, really good at it. 
knowing what works, knowing what messaging, knowing how to package it up. I mean, it's true that they hired primetime, uh, you know, ABC uh, producers and things. And you look and there's been some coverage of this, this, the, the money spent to these expert consultants and these things. And, and you know, at the level that we're talking about, you know, the senior staff members for top level uh, uh, uh elected official elected officials these are talented people these are not the these are not the c team right these are people that know how to do this really well and that's what they did that's exactly what they did they went through systematically and they built up this case and so now back to my point what does it mean when one of the pillars of american justice the idea of due process the idea of a jury of our peers is undercut like this and where is the outcry? Due process denied when it comes to jury trials, when it comes to, more broadly, the notion of having unbiased uh, uh, tribunals in which you can uh, adjudicate your, the claims against you, that's so fundamentally American. I mean, it's it, it's not this is not people throw around banana republic all the time in this context. They say, oh, this banana republic, banana republic. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a nonsensical phrase to throw out in the sense that it can mean anything to anybody. But what it ultimately what it what it to me, what it means, let's just say that is a lot of those places that you refer to banana republics. They have a system of justice that is just pure power based. Right. And And whatever they have to do to make the system look like they want it to look, they'll do. I mean, a lot of banana republics, they won't even bother to try to hide it. They just they, they hear, I have power, you don't, and, I, and swallow it up. You know, swallow up the uh, the opposition or swallow up other, and, and make it disappear. And that happens. But in a more sophisticated way, you have this situation where, in America, due process, and, and you know, you can say, and I hear people say, it was never good enough, right? It was never good enough. The system was never good enough. I got, I get that. I'm not saying that there wasn't a problem with, I don't know, jury nullification or even corruption or whatever. But generally, the system was working. And generally, when it didn't work or we found out it didn't work, we objected. Right in front of our eyes. Right in front of the nation's eyes. Right in front of the legal bar, the legal community's eyes. Right in front of the media's eyes. We see an egregious, unbelievable breach of the trust, the public trust, about how we should have our legal system work how we should have our due process when it comes to a jury of our peers, unbiased tribunals in which to adjudicate a claim. And we're watching it. And who's objecting? I mean, I think some of the commentators are objecting on the right, some of them. But most of the time, even the conservatives end up saying, well, the system which we respect so much, which we revere so much, which we are a part of, it will work out. It, it looks like it's breaking, not from the inside, by the way. I'm not making that critique now. There is a critique to be made that the system is breaking from the inside. Not only Soros prosecutors, but judges who are not doing their jobs and other things. I'm not even making that argument now. I'll make it another day. What I'm saying is, when you have, and I'm looking at the pages now with tiny, tiny print, uh, I'm looking at the pages of tens of millions of dollars going to all these people, going to 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 professionals, going to put together the the brainwashing, the propaganda, but the propaganda aimed 
in such a way. And someone says, someone, I was telling someone about this argument. They said, you can't know that. And I said, you're right. I can't read their minds. I haven't found the memo where they said, if we poison the waters in the community completely for the next 18 months, it'll make it impossible for them to have a jury trial. I can't find that memo. I haven't seen it yet. But the impact is still the same. You can describe the impact. You can describe as clear as can be that the reality of what's happening is having that impact. That there's no chance you have a jury trial of any serious uh, fairness. There's no chance you have a, a, a tribunal in which you can adjudicate the claims against you that you feel that is unbiased. It doesn't. It, it doesn't make sense. And yet, where's Liz Cheney and Benny Thompson and the Select on Committee? Where are they being pulled before a body to say why'd you do this? Why'd you damage America like this? Major problem. All right, that's what you need to know, and. Um, We will uh, take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with Ted Malik, our old friend Ted Malik, the author, uh, the uh, professor, a businessman, a world traveler. Uh, he's got a book on Davos uh, and his time uh, inside the globalist machine from a couple decades ago. Uh, welcome back, Ted. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Ed. So, Ted, you and I were exchanging. You got a couple columns that are uh, in the works. One's coming out, I think, tomorrow. But another one that I was looking at with you is uh, about the uh, and it, the, it does fit into my comment on Davos is uh, there was this story out of Tibet or out of the Far East about the Dalai Lama. And initially it was so weird and creepy Um you know, he, he sort of kissed a, a child, like a father, a grandfatherly figure, and then said, like, I don't know, suck my tongue or kiss my tongue or something. And then I watched it be reported, Ted, and then the cultural, uh, um, you know, kind of watchdogs came in and, and explained it away. They said, Oh, this is a cultural thing among people. Now, again, you have a, uh, you have a, a perspective on this. You've been an author at the level that, you know, I think you told in this uh, column that the Dalai Lama himself was part of a group that was, uh, 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 t- uh, talking about one of your books, Being Generous, which is an interesting book you've written. W- what's going on here, first of all? what Do you have a sense? Was this as, is this weird? Is it deviant? What is this? No, it's it's, it's both of those. And probably <laughs> probably degenerate and, uh, and wrong. Uh, yeah, my question is uh, about that incident. And it, it, it went viral. So this is right. not just the question of fact. We have a video of it, um, and he asks in, in Tibetan, and now, of course, the Dalai Lama lives in India now, not in Tibet, because the Chinese have kicked him out. But, you know, Eskimos rub noses, Americans touch elbows post-COVID, Japanese bow, Tibetans seemingly stick out their tongues, Clinton likes interns, Biden sniffs <laughs> little girl's hair. Right. Threw those in, just as two American <laughs> observations. right. So my point is, for modern-day relativists, it's much to do about nothing. Live and let live, to quote Paul McCarthy. Let the chips fall where they might. Nothing is sacred. There's no absolute truth. And no one should judge another. Yeah. I mean, really, judge not, lest you be judged. Sounds like where we have arrived. It's what we all agree to. But is that the ethical and conservative way? Right. I surely hope not. 
And I say that uh, it isn't, because if we come to that conclusion, we've thrown off thousands of years of civilization, right thinking, and religion. Uh, we're talking again with Ted Malik, a, a piece that he's written up about uh, about this uh, strange, as you say, viral uh, uh, Dalai Lama incident. But now, more broadly, uh, Ted, in your long uh, career, both as a teacher and in in business slash sort of world uh, uh, traveling and all. Is is this problem getting worse? Meaning, you know, we had colonialism. It was more British colonialism, where you know the the Brit the Brits were clear. Hey, our um our uh, part of our colonial strength is that we have a better system than you do. And if you're an animist, we're not impressed by that. We think you should go. And we were people were confident in that. They they may you could say that that was sometimes used to exploit people. I, I think that's probably um indefensible. You know, to, to 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 try to dispute indisputable. That's the word. But uh, but now it, it's almost as you point out, it's kind of uh, they're judging nobody. I, has it always been that way, or, or is it worse now? Are we, or maybe are we just seeing it better because we've got a bigger uh, eye on the world? Well, doubtless we have that capacity thanks to travel, uh, insight. Uh, you know, um, in into various cultures and some exchange between them. But um, I, I think the problem of what we're really talking about here, which uh, Pope Benedict addressed so forcefully, is is the question of relativism and moral relativism. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are in a place, I would say, a, a period of, uh, I've called it excessive globalism, where we've come to demand that secular universalist values dominate everywhere and all the time. And... Um, uh, those Davos uh, man kind of concepts are, you know, pushed out onto everyone. And the world, I think, contrary to the Beatles song, is not imagined as one because there are, in fact, so many different worldviews, practices, customs, and languages. And what applies in one given place may not be desirous or altogether acceptable in another, especially if it's half a world away. But even with that statement about diversity, you could say, or species diversity. Um, even so, certain norms, I would argue, as a conservative, are required. The Ten Commandments have an historical appeal uh, well beyond Jews and Christians. Virtue ethics was argued by Aristotle, Aquinas, Confucius, and others in the pre-modern world. Murder, so far as I can tell, Margaret Mead also said this, was condemned by all faiths. So there's a widely agreed definition of human rights. Do no harm is a basic tenet of most philosophies. And and, and, and it sort of then goes both ways. Uh, yes, there are cultural differences, but so too there is uh, a, a very strong sense, whether it's God-given or, or, or natural law, a sense of... Um, uh, of norms that people around the world across times and across space have to follow. Uh, we're talking again with uh, Ted Malachi. Ted, turning to your other column that's uh, coming out, I guess, in the next day or so, maybe uh, I, I for you can fill me in on when uh, uh, the the this is this really was a good this is an important one to me um, and worth a lot of time. I, 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 people ask, what does it mean to be a conservative? Right. And mm. conservative conservatives, uh, con- a conservation. These words got some of them got away from us. And so this piece is called and I've never seen the word, by the way, going local. Uh, I, I 
has that word been out there? Are you creating that word? And then tell walk us through what, what you what I you can't take credit for the word has been out there. Has I'm it? just using it as a handle. Yeah. That's interesting that you know it's not as familiar as it should be. I mean, of course we live in a more globalized world because you know, germs and armies and airplanes et cetera cross boundaries. But I'm suggesting where we really live and what we forget and have forgotten is the the nature and meaning of place. Mm. Mm. And that is a very localized uh, phenomenon, and it's uh, where we live our lives. And I say that conservatives need to take back this issue of conservation, which, after all, we originated in the first place. The... Um the so uh, it, did do you think this is another one that i the the span is what i wonder about how did we lose that i mean how did it how did it become is it one of those issues that, you know in ter- because you, it's associated sort of conserving and recycling and all these kinds of things many of them which are uh, sort of uh, boondoggles not effective i you know a lot of the recycling efforts are actually not effective they're they're crazy and you know a, a number of the green initiatives are total nonsense they're just transfer of wealth so conservatives have a problem with that on the other hand, you know, the, the segments of the population or the sort of um, cultural uh, left got themselves associated with being the ones that loved creation. At least, you know, their 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 problem is the the um, hierarchy. Their hierarchy of creation is off. You know, the tree is equal to uh, a baby as opposed to uh, it's you know got a got a hierarchy. But we do seem to have lost that ground. I think so, uh, and that is in part due to our loss of the principle of subsidiarity, mm. which matters a great deal. And that is this, uh, this notion uh, that we need to handle everything at the smallest, lowest, least centralized, competent level of authority. Uh, and I would say in modern times, we've done just the opposite. You know, So we have lots of uh, UN-like bodies and uh, <clears throat> all these... Uh, uh, fantasies about, uh, you know, global entities and transnational corporations. We need to think again about being rooted in these local communities, places uh, of sovereignty, really. And these little platoons, Edmund Burke's lovely term, uh, they include our churches, temples, schools, civic associations, and, and families. They give meaning to our existence. They connect us to each other in profound ways, as one Harvard academic, who I often quote, put it some years ago, we do not bowl alone. So uh, we need to realize this fact. I think conservatives have left some of that by the side, and they've become all enamored with big government and big spending and big companies, uh, and they've given up on the aspects and the customs and ways and traditions of real life. So we have to fight back, and then I give you. Yeah, this is this. this, this Yeah, these are good. These are good. I was going to make sure we cover them. Uh, Half a dozen ways to actually. Uh, head directionally, you know, and the late Phyllis Schlafly, for whom I worked for many years, used to say, you know, I'll tell you all the problems and all, then you got to give me some solutions. Give me a direction here. And, 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 uh, these are good. Well, walk, walk us through them, please, Ted. Well, I, yeah, I think there are more than half a dozen, but, you know, uh, friends, highlight, I mean, highlights, the whole yeah. notion of friendship has nothing to do with Facebook. <laughs> so, you know, I say have a few long term lasting friends, find them. And, uh, if you, don't, you're going to have a very lonely existence. Uh, so, you know, re- rethink this notion of making friends in, a, in not a superficial, but a real way, in a personal way. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, join something. I talked about bowling alone. You know, de, de Tocqueville, when he came to America, was most impressed by our sense of belonging. You know, it was a, it fostered a sense of well-being. Uh, he thought it was a form of patriotism which made America unique. Uh, I think Americans were, until I would say the early 20th century, great joiners. And now they don't join anything. They're all isolated, alone, uh, unconnected. Mm. Uh, for, for me, I think supporting uh, local businesses, small and medium-sized businesses, is is very in, important. Uh, we need to be prudent about that. Um, these small c- companies uh, in your own region, not the gigantic box stores or the mega brands or the transnationals who steal your jobs and don't reinvest in your communities. I, I think people... Um, need to realize that about 70% of the American economy is made up of these small businesses. So let's uh, let's actually support them. If you're worried about, uh, you know, where you live and your neighborhood and your uh, environment, then uh, th- there are ways to uh, give them the business. Uh, if you talk about eating, I mean, there's a big movement afoot called uh, Farm to Table. You may have he- heard of yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lots of farmers markets and um, I mean, my family practiced this, you know, for generations. We had, we had our own family farm. You know, we killed ducks and geese and <laughs> uh, grew our own vegetables. Uh, we didn't eat junk food or fast food. I wasn't ever allowed to have soda. On that. So mm-hmm. the, the question is, you want to put your health and longevity at risk? If you don't, uh, maybe you should try to eat more like this. It has uh, implications for the local um uh, environment and certainly for the local farmers. And then the, I, I talk yeah, about yeah, keep moving going, to a rooted place. I mean, yep. I've written at length about the cities and why we should um, consider le- leaving them because they are places that are, uh, you know, quite sick. Uh, right, 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 right. And finally, I mean, I'm, I mean, a basic one I think you would agree with me on is you know, we need as human beings to attend church, temple, synagogue, I'm, I'm not telling you which, right. because our republic, if we can keep it, Benjamin Franklin said at the end of the founding, uh, was an experiment in democracy based in the freedom of religion. And the nation was, I think, founded in the spirit as witnessed in the Mayflower Compact in our very constitution. City I- on the Hill, a nation's survival is based on and implies a separation of the established, any established church yet today, Americans, we saw this in the recent polls, are losing their spiritual zeal and falling out of faith. So when you um, when you finish that piece, uh, uh, Ted Malik, and you sit back and look at it and, and you say, um, OK, there's a lot to do, um, but is it sort of all stuff that we've done when we're going right i mean in other words it's not that hard right it's 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 not that difficult it's not it's not impossible it's not impossible no. mountain oh no it's not impossible it's, in some cases it might mean a directional turn or change or more of this less of that but yeah the country itself i mean even within our lifetimes certainly our parents our grandparents and maybe even ourselves we've done many of these things so, as in conservatism, you have to get back to some of those right things, uh, and we have to give up on some of those wrong things, and we have to make our case. Uh, I, I think we don't make our case very much any longer. 
Yeah, I think that's. I think you're right. I think it's a very helpful one. All right, Ted Malik, as always, thank you very much. Ted, is that second column? Do we know it's running? I wasn't sure when I. Yeah, I got... think tomorrow. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, over at uh, One America News. Correct. Okay, I'll put up the link to that. I'll find it when we get it up with our with that. All right, Ted, Ted Malik, everybody, thank you as always, Ted. We'll talk again very soon, and I will put that up on uh, social media. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Don't forget, uh, you can find all of that at ProAmericaReport.com. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, um, uh, it's been an interesting week. I've been found myself reading a bunch of uh, legal opinions. There's an opinion in the uh, Miller case that has to do with the January 6th uh, defendants and the 1512 charge, which is a felony charge that shouldn't be charged. Uh, We'll talk about that. I think I'll talk about that tomorrow. Um, And it looks interesting. It's hard to know. It's a three-judge panel in the D.C. Court of Appeals. And um, I don't know. There looks like there's some grounds for hope. Uh, But we'll see. But more interesting... I spent uh, much of um, uh, yesterday reading the opinion of um, the case down in Texas because the media is lazy and stupid, um, mostly lazy though, and they are covering the what the so-called uh, the the federal the abortion pill, the abortion pill, and the court down there uh, ruled and uh, basically put a hold and stopped the FDA uh, from moving ahead with the abortion pill, and it's a very interesting opinion. Um, very interesting. The judge is, um, obviously it's going to go right up on appeal. His name is Matthew, uh, Kaksmarek, Kaksmarek. And it's going to go up on appeal. The, uh, Biden administration immediately, uh, did that. But the, um, what he did was he stayed the approval of the abortion, uh, chemical. It's called Mif, 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 I'm terrible. Uh, Mif, Mifepristone. And, um, but here's why it's been 20 plus years since the FDA put this through and they did it at the end of the Clinton administration because they thought they might lose the administration. They might lose uh, power. They jammed it through. They were when they were losing control. And um, the point of this, actually, the part of the opinion is you jammed it through without people getting a chance to complain or, or, or to prove. And, I, and when they sued, you just basically uh, played um, keep away uh, from what the what happened, what was going on and what the truth of it is. And so here's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you that. And, and by the way, the judge stayed the approval of the drug. He's meaning he stopped it. And he said, it's got to be figured out. There needs to be more uh, um, uh, looking at this. And it's got, there's a lot going on here. But here's what I want to tell you. There, more and more, there is evidence that these chemical uh, efforts to, especially around what I would say are women's rights, are really bad for women. Th- there is now a body of evidence that the the dramatic use of the so-called contraceptive pill in the last 50 or 60 years is really bad for women. And the science is pretty clear on that. Breast cancer increases, other problems, and it's it was hurried through as a liberation, meaning you just don't get to be critical of it. I'm talking about the pill now, the contraceptive pill, because it's supposed to be such a liberation. It's such a big deal. And that's how the culture handled it. And lots and lots of people uh, took that drug, and women, and it's had a big effect. Uh, and none, not all, uh, well, not all of it is horrendously negative, but a lot of it is. And we've never talked about it. 
It's never been really revisited. And if you want me to be like a, a quasi-feminist on this, why is it that the women have to do damage to their bodies so that the you know sex-free culture can go forward, charging forward? That's what happened. So the women have to take the drugs into their body, the chemicals into their body over and over again every day for months and years of their lives. And because why? Because they want this, the culture wants this promiscuous culture. And let me say, same thing with abortion. The chemical abortion, the, 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 what it does to the body and what is impact, it's, it's very, very important to know what it means. And the idea that it was rushed through, and again, that it's culturally must be accepted, that it must be, uh, you know, oh, it's it's the, uh, you know, everything that's supposed to happen is problematic at least. And in this case, legally, it was uh, deficient. And so the judge was saying, hey, you got to go back and do this right. It's got to be done in a way that people can actually uh, see what's going on and it can be objected to. Now, it's going up to the Supreme Court, but the coverage of it has been basically Republicans want to ban it. And that's not what happened. In fact, even Republicans like uh, Congresswoman uh, Gray, uh, Gase, said her name Gase from uh, South Carolina? She got in the act and decided that she was going to say how, uh, you know, somehow the, the Republicans need to get on the right side of this issue because she is, um, uh, how to say, more um, uh, pro-abortion, uh, I guess. That's her position. And she's, she's, she's her, her point, which is done dramatically and gets a lot of attention, is actually just grandstanding. I mean, it's it's really not a valid point. And uh, here, by the way, here again, here's Politico. The abortion rulings, uh, appeal rulings are scaring the FDA and drug makers. Here's why. It's making them be accountable. If you're telling me that the FDA and drug makers, pharma, are upset about something slowing down the process, it's, it's, it's slowing down their money making. It's slowing down their ability to make money hand over fist off over off the American people. That's that that should be something that gives everybody uh, comfort. It should be everybody that gives comfort, not should not be um, something that gives everybody concern. That's my opinion on that. And we'll get more into that. We'll go look more. Like I said, I'm reading it. I read that opinion in the Texas opinion. There's another uh, opinion uh, on the same subject uh, related. I'll get into that. All right. Thank you, as always, to Noah Dingley, our great, great producer. Thank you to uh, Ryan Hyde for helping associate produce and, and helping with guests. We will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you tomorrow. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. A daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. When President Joe Biden ordered that a Chinese spy balloon be taken down as soon as the military deemed it appropriate, the military waited until after the balloon had traversed the entire mainland United States before they took it down. This dilly-dallying echoes the ineffective response by Joe Biden to China-owned TikTok the social media platform for short videos that has upended Facebook, Google, and YouTube in attracting participation by young people. Many have observed the threat that TikTok poses to the United States as TikTok foments and monitors addictive behavior by tens of millions of young Americans. Meanwhile, the consequences of the power grab by unelected officials in D.C. in rejecting the authority of duly elected presidents is breathtaking. Even now, the deep state may not be promptly obeying orders by Biden, who's the current president, as it apparently defied for days Biden's order to shoot the balloon down. The D.C. elite failed to safeguard our southern border against the invasion by illegal aliens, so it's not surprising that they failed to protect our airspace, too. 
Fortunately, Republicans control the U.S. House now and can hold hearings to compel answers about these repeated breaches of our border security, as Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia properly demanded. Greene remarked that the POTUS is the commander-in-chief. We must investigate and hold accountable those who broke rank, and immediate congressional hearings on this issue are necessary to accomplish this. Courts should end their long-standing practice of deferring to federal agencies based partly on the fiction that these bureaucrats somehow know better how to handle matters of state rather than our elected officials. If the American people thought that General Mark Milley would make a better commander-in-chief than the president, we would have elected him. Contrary to popular belief, deep state bureaucrats do not always act in the best interests of Americans. The deep state advances the globalist interests of China, it seems, rather than the people who are paying their salaries, the American taxpayers. The sooner we acknowledge this sad truth, the sooner we will be able to restore the constitutional framework that our founding fathers left to us. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we think it's time to take Washington back from the power brokers. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're organizing a grassroots movement to stand against the deep state bureaucrats who control government. For the latest strategies, go to phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, I'm totally, totally out of time, so I just have enough time to say thank you to the great Noah Dingley, our producer. Thank you to the great Ryan Hyde, our associate producer. Thank you for listening, and please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the daily wink when you get there, the email that goes into your inbox. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.